And sometimes those educational criteria change. Um, so what you needed five years ago, you need even more advanced today. Um, and there's a limited pool for those particular ones. So being able to expand that. But to Michelle's point, countries are looking at what they need. Um, and then they're looking at expanding on those. So if they have a need countrywide, they're going to open up a lot more of that opportunity. Powered by NEI Global Relocation, this is Relocation Leader, the podcast where we help advanced professionals in the world of global mobility. Now, here's your host, Zach Turbis. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Relocation Leader. My name is Zach Turbis, your host. I'm here with Cindy Beidel, the Senior Vice President of Global Client Relations, and Michelle Moore, the Chief Global Mobility Officer with NEI Global Relocation. Welcome. Thank you, Zach. Thanks, Zach. Cindy, do you want to give us a, just a brief description of kind of what you do at NEI? Absolutely. So in client relations, we work day-to-day um, -day contacts with the corporate client contacts. So what we do is we um, organize all of the data. We analyze. We go to many webinars. We pay attention to what's happening all over the world, um, keeping abreast of all of the industry changes, what could be coming, what might not actually be coming. And then we use all of that information, the expertise. We work with our client contacts. We understand the direction of their organizations. And then we make recommendations for them about how to take their programs to the next level. Nice. Michelle? As NEI's Chief Global Mobility Officer, my role is involved with helping my teams deliver global service around the globe making sure our clients are receiving what they need with their employees that are relocating, and then also with the financial services. Everyone has expenses when they're relocated based upon their policy, making sure people are paid quickly, timely, and accurately are all very important in making sure that that's reported. And then coordinating with all of the teams throughout the company to make sure everyone has the resources that they need to work together seamlessly. All right. So, um, we're, today we're going to be talking about immigration trends and their impact, um, especially on you know relocation and how we guide our clients. Um, and uh, just a few kind of questions to start it off um, with the world, you know, evolving economically, politically, um, and how that influences um, just kind of like the different priorities that uh, and challenges that are in the relocation industry. Um, could you give your thoughts on? Um, sort of how those different developments in the economy and politics affects um, what advice we may give for relocation? Absolutely. Right now, I think what we're seeing, the actuality, because there is so much change in the economics with the inflationary pressures and what we're seeing in the economy, many companies are just taking a pause. They're just gathering their thoughts. They're looking around to see what others are doing. And then as we start to look and add the geopolitical things in, many companies are also asking themselves, is now the time to ask someone to move when there's a lot of turbulence, especially if it involves Europe near the conflict in Israel or the Ukraine, what's going on, um, talk of potential unrest between Taiwan and China, a lot of companies are waiting to take that approach to see, okay, what are others are going to do and wait some things out. So right now, that's been a common, common approach. We've seen some of these approaches when the economy has dipped down and some don't know if we're in the bottom of a trough or if we're coming back up. It depends upon what economists you're speaking with, whether they think we've hit bottom 
or whether that will come later in 2024. Typically after that, as we saw in history, 2007, 2008, when relocations kind of settled and everyone was taking that pause, we saw a burst of activity coming in 2010 as companies needed to, the economy came back, they were reinvigorating and needing to realign people. I think that's what we'll start to see in the next couple of years. But everyone right now seems to be at that pause, just challenged by what should we do because they're watching everyone else, they're watching the bottom dollar. And every company right now, it seems, is taking a very cost-effective approach to hold back on moves. We saw a spurt of that, too, after COVID. You know, everything kind of closed down, and it was very difficult to get people into different locations. And when everything started to reopen, there was this insurgent of relocations, getting individuals where they needed to be so these companies could reset, they could start to grow and expand. Um, And now we're starting to kind of see that that realignment again. Um, So I think it'll become cyclical. What's your guys' intuition with regards to like, you know, I feel like COVID slowed immigration down to a halt, you know, but then at the same time, our technology, um, you know, technological capabilities um, had sort of given people a way to make the process a heck of a lot more efficient, you know, and so it's almost like you had these like counterbalanced um you know, aspects that were working against each other. But now some of, a lot of those restrictions are coming off. And, you know, the technologies uh, that we innovated during that time are starting to be refined. You know, so are we looking at um, more efficient processes going forward and maybe more fluency uh, between nations? In some respects, yes. In some respects, I think that the governments are still working to catch up. There was an awful lot of backlog, and that still is preventing a lot of countries from moving forward. Some it's their budgets, because needless to say, businesses are investing in technology, but a lot of times governments haven't been able to invest in their technology to keep it forward. But I do think a number of countries have come a long way since COVID, that they have updated a number of electronic processes with some robotics and some data entry that goes on. Just having an electronic system alone as they move towards a digital journey rather than everything being a stack of paperwork based has been a huge win for many countries. And so to your point, some are starting to align and being able to share information between countries. I think we're only going to see more and more of that just the timeline maybe isn't going to be on as quick a pace between all country combinations as what people might like. Because once you experience how easy it can be with some countries that do allow the electronic filing and to have more digital documents to then go to a country that isn't quite there, takes a little bit more impatience (laughs) and making sure you have printers available to print things out. Mm -hmm. There's the education side of it though as well. I mean, even as you get the technology there, and we have more digital solutions, the individuals who are on assignment, who are going into these countries, they need to understand how to fill out the paperwork, um, what needs to be done in what order when. So being able to supplement the technology and that submission with making sure that everything's completed properly ahead of time will make that whole process faster as well. So we have to balance the technology and then just the hands-on collaboration to educate. And there's also like that 
uh, the aspect where we're solving a lot of the efficiency issues. But then as we solve those and maybe we're using uh, AI to uh, help speed those along, it creates new issues with regards to like data privacy and other things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you should talk about AI. That is the latest thing that's coming up in a lot of countries. And a lot of countries, I'm going to use that word again, pause. They've started it. And then there's been concerns brought out with the AI being used. Are, are they? Is there any bias related to that? Is this a transparent of a process? How was it programmed? People asking a lot of questions. And most countries do not have laws yet regulating the use of AI or what it can access or what it is doing. So there's been a lot of pause on that to try and right size the technology advances with the laws and regulations around it, making sure that everyone's comfortable with it and how is the government going to regulate it then. So it creates wonderful opportunities, but just some risk and challenge that goes along with it. Yeah. And verifying that you actually have good data <laughs> and that it's not being influenced, like you said. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what emerging trends in, in workforce mobility are currently shaping the future of relocation? You know, we talked about technology. Is there anything else on the horizon? I think one of the biggest pieces is going to continue to be the return to office. We hear about there's some companies that are fully remote. Some are, are now encouraging people to return to the office. But having every company understand kind of what works best for them. Is it fully remote? Is it hybrid? Is it fully in office? And then as that pertains to immigration, where are the laws that really govern that? And where's the understanding from a compliance standpoint of where employees are, where are they working with? And then what are the employer, employer's responsibilities around that? And I think all of that's going to come, but some of that's going to take some time for the laws to catch up as typically happens with things business are ad is adapting to the needs and what works for them. And then getting things in place with the laws will take a little bit more of that support and coming into alignment. And then I think the second part is really going to be about the employee and the employee and workforce experience. Employees are evolving in their needs and what they need related to not only immigration, but how it works as a total within their job experience. So I think we're seeing, and Cindy, you can probably validate, a, a shift from companies having policies that are very rigid with very set benefits and then how people will use those benefits going more to selections, either by points or dollar values, that you can drive a much more customized approach to deliver the employee, their family, whatever that family structure might look like being able to really adapt and customize something that really allows the employee to feel valued and appreciated in their own way with something very, very different than what the person sitting next to them might receive. Yeah, there's definitely a shift in, in some of the policy design elements from the kind of rigid, you know, one way, long-term, short-term set policies to the opposite spectrum of full selection and working off of those offer letters, there is a middle ground where we're starting to see this kind of collaboration between the employer and the employee um, and blending even tiered approaches. They have to find that size that fits them and that experience. But I do think that there is a shift with employees willing to relocate and to see that potential for professional development. So being able to, we're starting to see a trend in having those professional development type leadership 
rotational programs globally. So can you explain to me then, um, you know, Michelle brought up uh, the work from home versus, you know, getting people back into the office. Like where does that dynamic intersect with immigration and how might companies' policies begin to change and accommodate this, this new, um, you know, this new factor? I think a lot of it's going to be governed around compliance. I think the government's still trying to get their arms around what does remote work mean? And if you're remotely sitting in one country, but that work is being performed in another country, you know, who's responsible for that? What country's employment laws does that employee fall under? What holidays should they give? What social insurance could they should they receive? All of those things, I think, are, are now the dynamics in play that everyone one and governments are trying to sort out because then the next biggest thing is who gets the tax earned from that work activity that they're doing. So all of those compliance issues are going to start driving the policies. Employers aren't going to want to have to police everything that they do. But in some respects, when it comes down to compliance, they're going to have to. So I think they're going to start to see, and we encourage that today, have a documentation of where you expect your employees to be, where they're at. So there's no surprises where um, we get the call from you, Nate, and all of a sudden you're saying, yeah, Australia's been great. And we're like, wait a minute, Australia, what are you doing working there? We thought you were just down the street working where your house used to be. And so employers have a responsibility to know where their employees are. And I think there'll be policies that set out the guidelines of here's your notifications, here's where you can work from. And it might include a list of locations with, with countries, but it may say, if you're selecting anywhere not on this list, we need to talk and go through that. But I think it's going to be, we've talked a lot about communication. It's the companies communicating, here's what our policy can be or what we can allow, and then looking to work through that. And historically, we haven't had to say, we need to know where you're working. Because no one really dreamt that if you weren't in the office, that you weren't just down the street at your house. And now you see the commercials. Bali has great opportunities for working from home. Belize, there's many countries that are putting out there those digital nomad visas and saying, hey, work from my country. But not everyone is recognizing there's a reason and there's a visa that's needed for that. That's good. Yeah, it, I think that the most common, um, well, it, I get your thoughts on this, you know, like when uh, COVID happened and they sent everyone to go work from home, um, people saw that as an opportunity to, hey, I'm just going to work from wherever I want now. And maybe their company was fine with them during that time working states away. But then, you know, as things, the situation started to change uh, and, you know, the policy decisions to bring people back into the office, um, those just started, uh, started to get made. Uh, do we bring them back on our dime or is that, are we going to ask them to up, you know, up in their whole life We're we're having struggles with employee retention anyway. So what do we do? I mean, I imagine a lot of companies are wrestling with that when they're trying to wrap their arms around those policies. Well, there's a lot to unpack in, in just what you said there. But when you look at the, the shift from COVID and everybody working from home and where could that be? It might've been, okay for some organizations at the onset, but once they realize the tax side of it mm, um, yeah. and you know where the tech nexus lies, that's when some of those started shifting very early in that process and internal policies were being developed. 
now it's it's that on top of other compliance areas as well. Yeah, pre-COVID, probably no one really thought much about it. As long as I'm remote, as long as I'm getting my work done, no one really knew. But governments also picked up. It was that audit and compliance where they realized people were working in their state or their country. They should have a share of the revenue for what they're doing. And then the companies were like, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize that person was there. We haven't planned for that tax nexus. So I think throughout the COVID period, people became very educated at the from their, their company level saying, here's where we have nexus, here's where people can be working. And those policies quickly evolved to spell out the compliance of what employees could either do or not do as far as their how remote they could be. So, um, you know, you said a lot of companies are just kind of like pausing and just waiting to see what happens. But, you know, companies still have needs and especially in highly skilled positions, um, you know, they are still looking for talent outside the U.S. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always critical talent. There's always those things that are core to the business. I think sometimes it's more the pause on maybe larger initiatives right now or moving people that maybe could work remote, but yet might be more ideal if they move them that maybe they can hold and wait. And it's more of a wait and see for a few months and see how it goes versus, oh, let's just have you move now. Can you speak to the concept um, that a lot of companies are, um, you know, buying into, which is, uh, you know, hiring based on, you know, skills rather than um, maybe like certifications or um, that that move towards skills skills based hiring. Uh, could you expound on on that and how that's affecting you know employers in you know the UK, the US, uh, in you know all over the globe? It really is impacting people everywhere. Um, as we look back, everything evolves. This is one of those areas that traditional immigration laws were all based upon the need for employees and that specialized skill usually came from a degree or some sort of educational program. Now, as we look at the industries that are really driving where immigrant needs are, it's those tech industries where a lot of that learning is done either on the job because it's innovating faster than what some of the education is keeping up with. And a lot of the skill set is really from on-the-job training and the -the on-the-job certifications maybe over an educational institute. So a lot of countries are recognizing that shift and is start and are starting to open up positions to attract talents, being able to say, hey, if you have the UK has the European pool and is working through, if you p- can put forward the skill sets that you have one of these, then you're welcome to apply and get the appropriate work permits to be able to then work at a company. And that's in in contrast with more like the United States, where an employer has to say, here's the skill sets that I want. I've looked for my year. I can't find anyone. And so based upon I need these degrees, this type of additional things on top of this degree, and then they find a candidate that meets those. So when you flip to the more the skill set, you already have that pool of candidates that is looking eager to work. And you're able to validate those skills versus validating the educational certifications. And it comes across much more quickly and opens up to people that 
have the right talents and might have the way to innovate and really help your company, but maybe don't have the educational history that goes along with it. And I think that's evolving in a lot of countries and really trying to open up more markets. Does that speed the process up? And if it does, does that present any other challenges uh, or different challenges? I think it speeds the process up considerably when the countries recognize that their country is trying to grow certain industries, such as tech sectors is just kind of the big population. And they have the validation already that they need as far as the skills. It really speeds up the process so you're not holding that towards finding individuals with the right educational criteria that may not be out there even in another country. And sometimes those educational criteria change. Um, so what you needed five years ago, you need even more advanced today. Um, and there's a limited pool for those particular ones. So being able to expand that. But to Michelle's point, countries are looking at what they need. Um, and then they're looking at expanding on those. So if they have a need countrywide, they're going to open up a lot more of that opportunity. Nice. So uh, what are the most significant challenges currently facing the relocation in industry? And how are companies innovating to address the, these issues? I think the first one is speed. I think during COVID, we all got used to, you could put something in as an order on your computer and boom, it was there. You go to move, gosh, they're going to come pick up your goods and boom, should it not be there tomorrow getting unpacked? And it's going to take six to eight weeks still to sail and get to across the globe. So that's speed. But I think we've had some technology that is really helping that we've been able to put in place that is increasing the speed of the communications, increasing the partnership opportunities where we are electronically interfaced with the temp living providers, with the van lines, and you can bring all of that information together to really help employees see things quickly at their fingertips at a whole broader level of, of just kind of pulling everything together to give them comfort on how their move is going and seeing it all together, even if we can't make the goods appear in that location overnight or as quick as they think their flight should be we can really help with increasing the communication and the products available to see information at their fingertips. And then I think the other significant challenge that we're being faced with, as is every business, is just increasing pricing pressure. You have pricing pressure from your own labor cost. We have pricing pressure in our industry from visa and immigration, expedite fees, all the different fees associated with that. And some of those are set to increase, such as even in the U.S., a lot of the filing fees are set to increase likely in March of this year um, and understand that they're going to be fairly significant. But we have housing shortages around the globe. That's making a supply and demand issue for short-term housing and really increasing the cost on that just because affordable housing isn't out there for, for people. And so to take that up with short-term housing, there's extensive premiums that go on. We got through COVID and all the unbalanced shipping containers that we were paying ridiculous amounts to get a shipping container to ship things to, to for example, from the U.S. back to, to Singapore or to China. And just when we thought some of those prices were going down, now from some of the political conflicts and not being able to transport a lot of goods through the Suez Canal with the conflict going on in Israel, 
that's now driving container prices and just shipping prices up in general because of the routes that they're having to take. So I think we're all feeling that pricing pressure as well as our clients just in their own fields. So everyone's looking for everyone to be more cost effective. And I think the way that we're all trying to deal with it, at least in the mobility industry, is making sure we're using that customization and right-sizing products, right-sizing the solutions so that it still may be costly, but if someone doesn't need a full traditional solution, can we scale it back to what they need? Or if they need a, a more traditional, more expensive approach in one area, is that going to maybe then limit the cost and a benefit in another area? But maybe that benefit they're, they're comfortable with doing on a smaller scale or it's not going to be as important to them as it is to their family in another area. So we're really kind of working to acknowledge that everyone has cost issues right now and learn how to address and scale to them. Globally, there's always something, right? Um, I don't think I've, in my tenure in this industry, have had even maybe one year where everything was just where it needed to be. <laughs> there's always some part of the process that will ebb and flow. And from a policy perspective, the more flexible you can make those programs, the easier it is to adjust and maneuver through those. She talked about, you know, the housing. I mean, the, the U.S., housing market has shifted and changed a lot over the last few years. We've got global housing um, in a lot of different areas and the cost of rental really across the globe. Mm -hmm. um, she talked about the, the household good piece of it, um, the mortgages, um, interest rates, ability to, um, I don't know, increase credit, um, the ability to purchase in some countries. All of those things are changing and they will continue to change. So overall programs just need to be adaptable and flexible. If they're stringent, if they're these are these particular benefits and this is how our policies work, you're going to get some people who will struggle with those changes, how everything adapts and flows. And the more flexibility that you have there, it is going to be easier for the company even to budget and watch for it because those costs change too for them as well as it is for the employees who are going through that process to have what they need when they need it. Can you uh, expound on that a little bit with, you know, we have a flexible program, but, you know, you can have a flexible program and not know how to use it right and still end up pay paying premium charges. What's what's the value of expertise, um, uh, you know, to come alongside that flexible program to actually make it work for you? communication. Um, we have an immense amount of training for our team members um, to allow them to communicate effectively to really get down to the root of, of what's needed. Every family situation, individuals, they are going to experience something different. So being able to work with them to really truly understand what is going to make a difference for that person can change from one person to the next person, and it normally does, every time they jump on the phone. Um, so being able to have that direct communication with those transferring individuals, that is where it starts. From there, it's understanding how many times is this coming up and do we really need to look at further adjustments to the program, communicating with our corporate clients to let them know where their costs are shifting and how that's going to impact them. Um, but it comes down to education and communication. We want to have those conversations help them plan, build those timelines, understand that, well, if we delay on this, this could happen. 
and being forward thinking with everyone to keep it all in line. Yeah, I think the solution based also comes from not only the training, but then having good tenured with employees, good tenured experience with the employees. Mm -hmm. When they've experienced that, they know how to build upon that. May not be the exact same situation, but they're in problem solving mode. They know what's worked. They know what's happened, so that they're just not speaking with someone who's never done this before, never experienced that before. So that tenure with the employees is very important, as well as supplementing that with the training that goes mm -hmm. on. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on Relocation Leader. And we hope to have you on in the near future. Absolutely. Love to. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you. This has been Relocation Leader, the podcast where we help professionals advance in the world of global mobility. Find our episodes and the video version in the podcast show notes. And listen wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.